Is Russia preparing for a major offensive effort in the coming months, but is a defector from the Wagner Group exposing everything to the West? I'm Paul, U.S. Army combat veteran. It is January 31st, 2023. This is your daily Ukraine update. Let's get into it. First off, let's take a look at the control map. You can see there's two major changes. Um, one is, of course, the movement of Russian troops up this somewhat covered and concealed line axis of advance towards Chasivyar and Ivansky. As you guys can see, again, they're forming a sort of salient here. And I really feel like Russia is running on momentum uh, in terms of this offensive effort. There's not really a lot of direction. And as we've talked about, it's going to be very hard to cross this big open field. Um, so they appear to be advancing towards Chasivyar, but you can see the further they advance, the harder it's going to be for them to sustain offensive operations. Um, the salients become more and more precarious over time. Ukrainian forces are almost certainly dug in in Ivansky and Chasivyar, and probably it's going to be a fairly punishing effort. This is definitely part of Russia's effort to encircle Bakhmut, cut off major roadways that are supplying the defenders of the city. But I suspect that their plan is probably to trace up this covered and concealed route and then turn to Ivansky cut off this roadway here, and then attempt to push to cut off the roadway to the north. Now, this is easier said than done, uh, simply because one, Ivansky is somewhat of an urbanized area, but two, this, as Russian forces advance, you see this without charging across this open ground and exposing large numbers of their troops, they're going to have a hard time creating this salient here. Um, when we look to the north, you can see they've also made a number of advances into uh, what they're calling Sacco and Vanzetti, uh, named after two American immigrant anarchists convicted in like the 1910s. So just still weirded out by the fact that there's a town named after those guys. But what's interesting is that, again, you can see that that. Russia seems to be getting further and further from its original objective of using Solidar as a gateway to Bakhmut and is instead using this effort to create, just take whatever areas they can. Now, obviously, it's bad news to see that Russia has uh, managed to advance beyond the Bakhmutka River, um, but you can see that instead of going after their original target of Bakhmut, they're simply taking whatever becomes available, um, which in this case is this small village. It looks like a, almost a cul-de-sac. Um, and, but, but I, I cannot for the life of me tell you other than simply being able to report back that they are making advances. I can't tell you what the larger strategic picture is. Most, if you look at the direction of these advances, it generally looks like it appears to wind up near Solidar and then take a turn to the North into what is largely unimportant territory. Um, I suspect they may have designs to push Northward, uh, to Sevirsk, uh, but again, it's it's really not clear um, that they would be able to do that, given that there is lots of no man's land on either side and that this is basically almost certainly a fortified uh, uh, canal. Right. This axis of advance is going to be extremely difficult to dislodge Ukrainian forces. Uh, 
yeah, you're just left with this question of what exactly, if anything, is Ukraine or Russia going going to achieve with these advances. And this is why there's a lot of rumors um, that Russia is actually preparing for an offensive in the coming months. This, of course, uh, would involve Russia mobilizing new people, uh, getting new weapons and ammunition through increased domestic production, as well as partnerships with Iran and North Korea. Uh, all of this is that Russia is setting conditions for a large offensive effort, possibly in Luhansk Oblast, in the coming months. And I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm mixed on this because simply mobilizing 200,000 personnel, Russia has learned, requires some more infrastructure development. They have to put these personnel through adequate training. They have to put them through, assign them to actual units with actual combat-tested leaders. All of that is going to be something that takes a lot of time, more than just uh, 60 days to, to train up and deploy 200,000 soldiers. You're talking about something that is six months away, um, especially if you're talking about mobilizing personnel, equipping them, training them, and getting them to the front lines as part of units. Um, some Russian mill bloggers are claiming that uh, the current pace and nature of Russian operations indicate that the main forces of the offensive have not yet entered the battle, signifying that mill bloggers believe that Russian forces have not yet activated the elements required for a decisive effort. So it implies that there's some sort of reserve element that's going to enter the fight and be deployed to support this. I am honestly mildly skeptical. Um, as we've seen in uh, right now, the combat map has no reported uh, enemy attack or Russian attacks. Uh, but I think that's more of a reporting issue than an actual fact. But we do know that Russia's op tempo tends to have this sort of steady pace to it uh, on a 72 hour cycle involving shelling, um, ground assaults, reconsolidation, another round of shelling, another round of ground assaults. So when we look at that, right, we can see that they are in this sort of systematic phase um, that's characteristic of positional warfare. But what we don't see is the organization that we would expect. We see Russia, when we have these attacks, we see them spread across the entirety of the front lines. And it's just hard to sustain, even at a low level, these sort of attacks um, when, in fact, Russia believes it has some sort of uh, decisive plan at work. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to burn so much of your personnel when you're planning a larger offensive effort. Um, when we look at WarMapper, you can see WarMapper making some updates on a couple of things. First off, Russia's advances to the north and to the, uh, let's see if we can find it here. There you go. Uh, right, advancing to the north of Bakhmut, there's Solodar, as well as to the south, this efforts in Klitschivka to move towards um, Ivansky. Nothing that we haven't already talked about and seen. Uh, but here's what's really interesting, is that recently, of course, a former Wagner commander describes brutality and incompetence on the front lines. And let's take a look at what exactly he talks about. Um, he said uh, that Wagner fighters were often sent into battle with little direction that aligns with what we've seen. Uh, and the company's treatment of reluctant recruits was ruthless. Um, 
They would round up those who did not want to fight and shoot them in front of newcomers, he alleges. Uh, They brought two prisoners who refused to fight and shot them in front of everyone and buried them right in the trenches that were dug by trainees. Um, This is just classic. uh, This is a classic belief that a lot of old school militaries have, which is fear and um, uh, just inflicting the most awful experiences and training will prepare them for war. And what we found, you know, the U.S. has 20 years of data on training troops um, and then sending them to war. Uh, what they've actually found is that uh, giving troops confidence is way better than producing uh, fear and terror in them. Um, that is still done through hard training, uh, but ultimately you don't need to do things like, well, I mean, this is this is beyond the pale. No, no, no Western country uh, would ever kill people in front of trainees. This is something that like a cart a, a cartel might do, a criminal organization might do. Um, but the idea is that your best bet is to actually let soldiers have hard, progressively more difficult tasks, which they are able to overcome with effort. Uh, and that as you build their confidence, by the time they go to war, they go with the uh, self-belief and belief in their units, belief in each other, that they can really sustainably um, uh take the fight to the enemy, do their jobs adequately. Uh, So that's kind of the Western method. And this sort of harassment and torment method is just something from, you know, two centuries ago, honestly. Um, This guy said he was previously a Russian military member, joined uh, Wagner as a volunteer in July of 2022. He said he received less than 10 days of training and ended up near Bakhmut in Donetsk. Um, he called Prigozhin the devil, which I thought was funny. Um, Prigozhin himself has said that this individual had served with Wagner and said he should have been prosecuted for attempting to mistreat prisoners. And in turn, this commander, Mendevdev, uh, told CNN that he didn't want to comment on what he'd done himself while fighting in Ukraine. Listen, if you know these people will shoot you in cold blood for refusing to fight and they give you other instructions like to hurt prisoners, you have a hard choice in front of you. And I'm not condoning war crimes, but we have to understand that these systems are the things that produce them in many cases, right? The, the U S system, whatever flaws you can say about it, many, many times, even sometimes years after the fact, Allegations of war crimes are investigated, soldiers are prosecuted, soldiers sit in jail for long, long sentences when they are found to abuse civilians or prisoners. Um, Look at even Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher, uh, somebody who honestly I loathe because I believe sincerely in the law of war and uh, being the, the the good guys um, in a conflict, right? Americans don't abuse prisoners. And he um, allegedly, according to uh, a court document, st- stabbed a child in the throat, an underaged fighter. I'm going to get demonetized just for saying that. Um, as part of some sort of ritualistic fetish for 
uh, you know, killing with a knife. And the difference between Russia and the U.S. is that Eddie Gallagher was put on trial. The U.S. spent a lot of time and a lot of resources to try this individual. Um, some of his own teammates testified against him, which is a testament to just how unprofessional he is. But other teammates testified in his defense, and it was able to be muddled enough that while he wasn't convicted, um, the Navy SEAL chain of command actually took his trident. Uh, and then, of course, it was restored and he was fully pardoned. Um, in something that, regardless of your political affiliation, uh, I think is really, really uh, abhorrent, right? The military justice system, uh, flawed as it is, um, should should be able to run its course without intervention from a, a civilian leader. And I say that in both instances, right? President Obama also pardoned um, some uh, individuals convicted under military court. But he also reported that Wagner lacked strategy. Uh, troops would come up with plans on the fly. No real tactics at all. We just got orders about the position of the adversary, um, but there were no definite orders about how we should behave. We just planned how we would go about it step by step. Who would open fire, what kind of shifts we would have, how, how it would turn out. That was our problem. Okay, this is sort of strange because this he's describing is um, a... Uh, Western-style command system. This is actually something that, if you're trained in the Western tradition, this is actually exactly what you would want as a leader. Um, right? It wasn't you would come up with plans on the fly. It's that I would get orders about a mission that I had to achieve. Uh, let's say, go to a village and meet a certain leader. Um, my commander would not give me orders about how I would do that. Um, obviously, there were guiding principles of planning and, and, and uh, you know, how generally accepted SOPs. But the actual plan was mine uh, as a commander, right, or as a platoon leader. I would go about it step by step, deciding who would open fire, what kind of shifts, etc. And how it would how it would actually be executed was indeed my problem. Uh, the problem is, of course, that I had the advantage of being trained as a platoon leader from day one uh, in my by my by the military. Right. That's what I did in my basic officer course. And in my um, back then, they called it the Bullock three or whatever. Uh, right. I spent the military spent years training me to do exactly what he's describing. This dude had less than 10 days of experience to do it, so he probably felt completely overwhelmed. Um, he started out with 10 men under his command, so he was like a squad leader. Again, something we would reasonably expect them to do a basic level of planning. And he said that number grew as more prisoners were allowed to join. He said there were he basically describes uh, that his command grew larger and larger, but that because of the high casualty rates, they were in constant circulation. He says just describing it as a cycle of dead bodies, more prisoners to being turned more into dead bodies. This is never going to get monetized and more prisoners. Uh, if you guys have actually been on the Patreon, th speaking about getting demonetized, um, I get uh, we've watched some videos on the Patreon of a uh uh, helmet cam footage of a Russian, probably a Wagner group attack and the uh, paralysis that these soldiers, and I'm using that term generously, have in response to fire is incredible. It's like a company 
sized attack. It's a large element, um, or maybe a platoon sized attack, but a lot of firepower, um, you know, all told. But when they come under a ambush or come under attack, you can see that 85 to 90% of these troops freeze. They simply lay on the ground and they don't fire back at the enemy at all. It's crazy. It is crazy. And if you're interested in both supporting the channel in the face of YouTube's demonetization, and you want to see me break down these combat videos, uh, the link is in the description. Anyway, uh, he also points out <laughs> that, of course, it, individuals who are killed in the war will get a $100,000 payout, um, but they simply just declare most of the dead as missing. Um you know, and he wants us all to know that he saw courage on both sides, the Ukrainian side and the Russian side, right? And this is the tragedy of war, if there ever was one, uh, is that ultimately on an individual soldier level, these guys are fighting often for each other, for the other members of their unit. Um, and the geopolitics is just so disconnected. Um, and the people at the top that make these decisions... Um, Almost sometimes it feels like they don't deserve um, the courage and the bravery and the sacrifice of the soldiers under them. Um, you know, especially in the case of Russia, really is what I'm talking about right now. And and to a lesser extent, some of the bumbling decisions by the U.S. in Iraq and Afghanistan. You don't like some of these politicians who are just like self-interested worms like Putin. Uh, they don't deserve to be in charge of guys who hate the hate, you know, hate on the Russians all you want. Some of these dudes are going into combat with aluminum foil uh, armor. And uh, that that requires some cojones, man. I don't know if I got issued aluminum foil armor. uh Yo, I'd be, I would be, I would be defecting so fast it would make your head spin. Anyway, guys, that's all I had for you for today. Um, sorry, things got a little weird and uncomfortable, but you know what? It this is this is a war coverage channel. We should talk about it. Uh, see you guys in the next one.